I guess we wait for the other shoe to drop. The Little East could announce some combination of six teams and rob yet another automatic bid. You were talking about Podcast 302. I think people have to go back to Podcast 301 where we warned them this would happen. And here we are on the precipice. The slippery slope to no at-large bids. It's probably not the best thing to start a quarterfinal preview with, but... Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. There have been 50 seasons of Division Three football. We've covered it for 25 years. We've had a podcast since 2007. That's the podcast you're listening to right now. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. The only podcast directly from us here at D3Football.com. We are here every week all season, sometimes twice, because we live and breathe this stuff. I'm Patrick Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. I'm Greg Thomas. I write around the nation at d3football.com. Right now, for the next few weeks, you'll see me write road to Salem features. Around the nation is on a off-season hiatus, post-season hiatus. The Around the Nation podcast is here in Season 17, Episode 20, and we are going to get you ready for these four national quarterfinals. We don't have just one fast five. We have like three slow 15s and a medium speed 10 here for you in this particular podcast. So we're going to talk with Pedro Ruza. He's the head coach at Randolph-Macon. We talked with Carter St. John, the quarterback at Alma. You heard a little bit of it in Podcast 345. This is a completely different interview here in Podcast 346 where we ask the hard-hitting questions like whether he has a kilt. If it's no Scottish, just come up! We'll also be talking with Kurt Fitzpatrick. He's the head coach at Cortland. And Egan Hine, Egan Hine, the starting quarterback for UW-Whitewater. Greg, before we go any further, we should recognize our sponsor, the friends of ours at D3Photography.com. D3Photography.com hasn't shot any new football galleries of photos since we last talked, but they will be at all four quarterfinals on Saturday, so you will have plenty of photos in a relatively prompt manner, actually, as well, to choose from when it comes to seeing imagery of Cortland at Alma, of North Central somehow at UW-Lacrosse, of UW-Whitewater at Wartburg, and of Randolph-Macon at Johns Hopkins. That is what you'll see from D3 Photography this upcoming weekend. You might even see some of that work during the game get featured on our site as we rotate some media in and out on the front page during uh, Scoreboard Saturday. That is the thing that we do. Folks at D3Photography.com do a great job covering Division Three football games as well as other Division Three athletics events. If you want to order stills from these great events, quarterfinals, or maybe even some of the action they've shot during the regular season or the first two rounds of the postseason, you can go to D3Photography.com, place those orders, use the coupon code D3Football to get 10% off. Right now on the front page, you can see a great portrait of Spencer Ugla by Mike Atherton at D3Photography.com. He's the running back for Johns Hopkins who wears number three. Great story, great photo. Check it out. Thanks to D3Photography.com for sponsoring this edition of the podcast. Right, Greg, we're going to hear from people around the bracket. We're going to preview each of these quarterfinals, and we're going to start with 
Pedro Aruza. Pedro talked with Keith McMillan. You may, you may remember Keith McMillan from such shows as the first 280-some podcasts of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. And he chatted with Pedro Aruza shortly after the team at Randolph-Macon defeated Ithaca in the second round. Coach, I've done a lot of impartial interviews for D3Football.com <laughs> over the years, but this is not one of them. Uh, I played at Macon from 94 to 97. You arrived here in 2004, so we didn't overlap. You know, we've talked here and there over the years, but I tried as I wrote and did the podcast for the site to remain impartial, perhaps at Randolph-Macon's expense. But I objectively think in RMC's rise to a national power, the Jackets are one of four teams, along with DelVal, Mountain Union, and North Central, to have nine or more wins in the past five full seasons. There are relatable lessons for much of our listening audience across D3. I always wanted to ask you this. How important has it been in building the program to have gotten the long leash in the early years, some of which were lean, to be able to establish something that in year 20 is functioning at its highest level? I, I think that's been huge. It, it's crazy. Sometimes it is you know, tough to take stock in the middle of the season. But, you know, I walk around the, the field every game day. You know, I take at least two or three laps and I, I think and I pray, pray for our players and, you know, just kind of reflect a little bit. And, you know, my first year here, okay, this is a true story, and maybe I'm divulging more than I should, but the, uh, the president at the time, it wasn't President Lindgren, who's been, been great to me, um, was standing at the top of the stands and he asked one of the, the trustees, this was year one now, I might have been like three or four games into my time here, and he, he asked that trustee, did we make the right decision by uh, hiring this guy? And so that was early. I mean, that was three or four games into, into my career. And I know there were a lot of people that, you know, were like, hey, who is this guy from the, the Midwest? And, and I, I understand to a great extent why they, why they felt that way. So, you know, as I was walking around this, uh, this track this morning, I thought about that. I've never forgotten that. I, I never, uh, you know, I still have that picture from the, the first loss at Hampton, Sydney. And uh, I, I've never forgotten that those words were, were said, and it kind of drives me a little bit, you know what I mean? It's been a great 20 years, but, it, man, it, it hasn't been perfect. It, it definitely had its ups and downs, and, you know, I, I'll be honest. I, I remember in 2007, right before the season started, we had had three pretty tough years, and I felt like we were making progress, and the culture was really turning. But I said to my wife, man, I'm like, we, we've got to – show improvement this year we may be you know looking for a new job and moving our family and at that time we had you know two young kids and my youngest son will wasn't wasn't here yet but uh that definitely those are those are the moments that you don't you don't hear about a lot from coaches you know what I mean where you're laying there in bed and you know you have the confidence that maybe things are going to turn but sometimes not everything's within your control so you know there's a lot of stories like that yeah I, I, I never uh, envy the life of a coach and um and you know, thinking about moving your family, uh, you know, just based on, on wins and losses. For people who are listening, uh, Will is a teenager at, at this point, right? He's practically a grown man sitting over here on this couch. We're in, we're in Coach Arusa's <laughs> office. And the picture that he referenced is a picture of the scoreboard at Hampton, Sydney, where it says 50 to 16. Hampton, Sydney won that day. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things probably that, that uh, I'm sure kept you in the good graces over the years is, is the success against Randolph Macon's our tribal, but now the success is everywhere. You look at the the field, there's a new football building, the, the game day atmosphere is incredible. And I say that as 
objectively as someone yeah. who's been to St. John's and Linfield and Mount Union and Mary Harden Baylor and all the, the, the great places uh, across Division Three, Ithaca's a great place to see a game. No doubt. The, the band and the cheerleaders and the, the, the field is surrounded by dorms and buildings and people can watch from there. Uh, everything's functioning, functioning at its highest level, um, but it's got to be impressive that the team is maybe have the best team in, in Randolph-Macon history. Yeah, I mean, the, the, kids, the kids are unbelievable. I think that, that was the thing that, you know, during those early years, that was the thing that really kept me going. It, you know, funny that we're having this conversation. I, I look up in the locker room, okay? One of the first guys I see coming off the field is a guy named Michael Bryant, okay? Mike Bryant played here at Randolph-Macon, was a senior when I first came in. And, uh, you know, he sent me an email this week. I've stayed in touch with a lot of the guys over the years. And uh, he's one of the first guys I see, you know, when I'm walking off the field. He, he and another guy, Joe Jenkins, were standing in the back of the locker room. And I'm glad they felt comfortable enough to just walk in there. And I brought Mike up and I, I told him, I'm like, when Mike was a senior, you know, Mike and I, every Sunday night, would walk around the campus. And we would sit by this bench over by the KA house. And I'd be like, Mike, you know, what, what else do we need to do? What do we need to do to get the guys to buy in? You know, how are we going to get this thing turned? And I remember Mike was almost like a, uh, you know, like a counselor for me in a way, you know, but just a great kid who bought in. Mike was not as optimistic as I was. You know, Mike was like, coach, you got to get you know, your own guys in here. And I'm like, these are my guys. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that was kind of my attitude coming in. And a lot of those guys that were here my first year come back and had great attitudes and really support support the program. But at the end of the day, when I look at this job and I look at the wins and the losses and the progress that we've made, what I what I really value and what what's kept me here for so long are the relationships, you know, because yeah. I feel like there's something – beyond just what, what goes on on the field that, that's more enduring than that going on in our in our football program. And listen, when I moved into this building, I had to be very selective about, you know, which books I brought in here, which pictures I brought in. I brought that Hampton-Sydney picture in here. I've got a, a picture over there of my seventh grade football team, one of the first year that I ever played football, and we won the uh, city championship in Miami. It was probably one of the best teams and best experiences that I've that I've ever been on. We started out the year with 66 guys, got down to 22 wow. at the end of the year. It was the most diverse team I've ever been a part of. I joke around with everybody. I said I was one of three white guys on the team. The three white guys were Pedro, Julio, and Roman. Okay, <laughs> so every time I tell that story, the guys laugh. So I've got that picture there because that was an extremely meaningful experience. I felt like that was a, a life-changing experience, and that's why I fell in love with football. And I, I, I do feel like football saved my life with the stuff that – you know, we can talk at a later time about some of the stuff that happened. But I had a terrible situation at home, and football was kind of the thing that, you know, I feel like my faith in football were the two things that kind of got me centered. But then next to that is a picture of Coach Bishop, who was my head football coach at Wheaton College, you know, probably the greatest guy I've ever known. You know, he passed wow. away a couple summers ago. I just talked to his wife on Thanksgiving. I called her and uh, had, a, had a chat with her. I was staying in touch with her, but he was a, just a great great human being and a great role model and had an incredible impact on me and you know when I was leaving college I'm like what, what do I want to do I, I want to do what coach did for me just yeah. had a tremendous impact on my life well it's amazing to be able to do that and to be able to win at the same time you know there there are no doubt programs across D3 that are turning young men into into men and you know they go four and six or yeah. two and eight I'm not sure there's a whole lot of correlation between winning and, and what type of person you become because um you know, it's hard, hard workers yeah. at every level. There's dedicated players uh, at every level. But 
I, I do I do still kind of sit here a little amazed at um, you know 1500 person college taking a, a program that is I think we talked before we started recording the, the field was headed in a different direction yeah. it was grass and and now you've got um, yeah, and you just have a uh, you've built the entire thing up not just the players but uh, but the whole atmosphere on campus and the way it feels when you come to the field and all that is uh, is functioning at a high level yeah it's been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun like I said the credit you know I mean a lot of good things have happened, you know, Drew Campanelli, you know, I, I told him, I, I, I was laughing because, you know, we have this great facility. I told our guys a couple of weeks ago when, you know, we won the conference championship, I said, were any of you guys recruited? You know, when we, we didn't have this facility when these yeah. guys were recruited, you know, and then everybody talks about the fifth years. We have 17 fifth years right. and, you know, people are like, well, you know, they've got an advantage. They've got 17 fifth years. Well, listen, every program in the country had yeah. the opportunity to bring back that many guys and as i told you know i told president lingren in a conversation because you know sometimes presidents are a little bit skeptical of the fifth year i'm like would you rather have a program that kids are like dying to be a part of and they want to come back for? i mean shoot we had a kid today that's a fifth year that didn't dress hurt me not to be able to dress him i love the kid he's one of the best kids in our program but we've got kids that are fifth years that aren't playing a lot you know what i mean we'll, we'll have guys come back next year that I'll have to have those hard conversations and I'll say, we'd love to have you back, but you know, here's where you are right now, you know, on the depth chart, we'll never say that you'll never be able to climb on that depth chart, but here's the reality of where you are. And yeah, I think it's special that, that they want to be a part of it and that, you know, they love, love the school and they love the program enough to want to be a part of it. Our our kids, they, they love football, you know what I mean? And that's, that's a really big deal. And I've got a lot of buddies that coach in division one and, you know, people ask me all the time, like, I'm like, this is the purest level of football, you know, like six o'clock on, on a February morning, our guys are out there because they want to be out there. I can't make them be out there. I can't discipline them for not being out there. You're not allowed to do that yeah. in division three, but say, guys, this is what time we're going to go. This is when we have the facility available and these guys show up and they work their tails off and that that's inspiring. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just feel like it's different at this level. It's, it's exactly what continues to, to draw me to it. Johns Hopkins is the opponent, and you mentioned Coach Margraf in the open press conference. I know that program was a challenge um, that was on the early season schedule several times yep. uh, over, over your 20 years. You know, what does it mean to be able to, to, to play them again, and what kind of challenge will it be? Uh, it'll be a great challenge. Uh, I mean, you know, we played each other for many years, and, uh, you know, Coach Margraf. What, what, a, what an incredible human being. I mean, I lo- love Coach Margraf. was, you know, really, really sad when he passed away. And uh, had just talked to him a few weeks, really like two weeks before that. And we'd had a, a great conversation. He was always a, a really gracious, gracious guy and just a, a really classy individual. And we played each other for a long time. And, you know, I, it's interesting. I, I always use that program as kind of a model of where we wanted to take yeah. our program because I know he had some tough years early and they had some seasons, you know, they were getting over the hump and then they weren't over the hump and then they'd get over the hump and then they were back. And if you look at the records, they were almost identical, you know, in the first however many years. So I kind of, I printed it out once and put our records right next to their records and just kind of looked at it just like, man, this is where, where we want to want to be. And then, you know, we played interestingly enough. So like there were some battles early on in 08, we lost them in triple overtime 09, they, I think we got the ball back with a minute and 34 seconds back, left on the clock, and they drove down the field. So oh, between 07 
and uh, 10, we split with them. Yeah. You know, we beat them in 07 at their place. Then they beat us in triple overtime here. Then they drove down the field and beat us in 09. Then in 10, we drove down the field and beat them. And then their program just took off. They, they came off the schedule for one year, and then they took off. And, uh, you know, in 16, you know, we didn't play them during the regular season. Coach Margraf and I said, hey, why don't we switch things up? And, you know, we, we made an agreement with Dickinson and Washington and Lee, the four of us, were right. going to switch on and off. And then in 16, when we didn't play them, we played them in the playoffs anyways and went up there and, you know, got beat pretty good. Yeah, and I, I told our kids in the locker room, you know, I'm like, man, I'm proud of you guys. You know, we, we've had a couple tough years and we turned the program around a little bit. I said, but this is where we want to be and. uh and then in 19, we had a battle with them here. And, man, I told uh, Nehemiah Nixon, our tackle, I, I said, you got – you were a freshman that year. You started that game. I'm like, you got your butt kicked. And he said, Coach, I know. I know. I'm ready. So, you know, I, I think it'll be – I think it'll be fun. You know, I have a lot of respect for, again, their staff. And they do it the right way. Coach Margraf left behind a tremendous legacy. And all those guys that are there now are a product of – Yeah. You know, Coach Margraf. So, you know, I, I know their head coach, and I talk to talk to him and have a good relationship with him. So, it, it'll be a great game. A lot of really good questions from Keith there, which you know you have time to really draw up some good questions when you're in the middle of a forty-six to zero blowout, right? It's probably true. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to believe that Pedro Ruza has been at Randolph Macon for twenty years now, prior to his arrival in two thousand four. Randolph Macon, they had just one winning season in the previous five. It took some time for Aruza to turn the ship around. We heard a little bit about that in the interview, uh, but he did so in a big way. He went two and eight in 2006, and then they went eight and two in 2007, and they've had just one losing season since 2007. They're now the dominant force in the ODAC, and that's a conference that we remember as being one where any any one of four or five or six teams could win uh sometimes multiple teams sharing a title in any given year not anymore yeah not anymore this is randolph macon is the king of that hill and they are now playing in the third round of the ncaa tournament for the first time in that program's history i thought this was a really unique look inside the life of a coach as well right greg you know worrying at night with a spouse about whether they'll have to move for a job and uproot their children, send them to new schools. This is real stuff and real people, right? When you're calling for the head of a coach who you think doesn't live up to your standard, remember this is a human being that we're all talking about. Also, I think important to remember Division Three, the economics of Division Three head coaching are not such that, you know, you're seeing it in the news now with the end of the mm. FBS season with coaches getting, you know, millions of dollars of buyouts or whatever. Like those people are okay. Division three, yeah, moving your family around on a division three head football coach's salary is not easy stuff to contend with. So do be mindful of that, I think. Like the economics of the game are different here in division three than they are at higher levels. Give me the interest on Jimbo Fisher's buyout from Texas AM, and I think I'll probably be just fine. All right. So Johns Hopkins and Randolph Macon. We talk with Randolph Macon here. You can read about Johns Hopkins on the front page of d3football.com right now. Great feature by Joe Sager with Spencer Ugla, the wearer of number three on the Johns Hopkins roster, and Matt Anderson, the guy who preceded him in that role. That's a really interesting story, and it's definitely worth checking out. When I think about the quarterbacks in these two games, Coach Aruza talked about Drew Campanelli a little bit. 
Uh, Bay Harvey is a guy who doesn't have as much experience as a signal caller for Johns Hopkins, right? He's in his first season. Campanelli's been the starting quarterback at Randolph-Macon for a little while. And, you know, I feel like defensively these teams are both pretty stout and fairly even. I'm wondering your take. Yeah, I think defensively these are pretty pretty good defensive teams. Uh, Randolph-Macon obviously coming off of a shutout. Hard to do much better than that. And they, I mean, they really clamped down Ithaca. Ithaca got almost nothing in that game. My insight on Randolph Macon offensively kind of comes from Keith McMillan's description of what they do is they just kind of line up and maul people. Right. He he didn't describe a very deep playbook. And in a 46 nothing blowout, you don't need a super deep playbook. But uh yeah, if you line up across the other guy and you just blow him off the line of scrimmage, you can get by with traps and counters and sweeps and stuff. Indeed. And I, you know, I think if Randolph Megan can establish that same kind of dominant mauling rush first attack, control the clock, keep Johns Hopkins offense off the field. I don't know that they're going to be able to do the same kind of 40, 20 split that they did last week with Ithaca, but you know, if they can, limit possessions for Hopkins. I think Randolph Macon has a a decent chance to go up to Baltimore and get a win. We're talking with Carter St. John. We talked with him a little bit on our Monday podcast. If you missed that, go back and listen to Fast Five in that podcast. We talk in detail about the last drive of that Mount Union game. Carter, first off, uh, appreciate you joining us and doing a, a double dip here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. It's been uh, obviously a quite interesting run for you guys this year. One of the things that you know we often see when a team goes to Mount Union, especially when a team goes to Mount Union for the first time, is that there's just this kind of awe factor of going in, facing the machine, and often a team finds itself down 14 points before you know they really find their sea legs. I was hoping to hear from you a little bit about what you guys did to make sure that intimidation kind of right off the bat just wasn't going to be a thing. Yeah. I think I forget whose coach said it, but I think they mentioned the same exact thing where people go in already down before the game starts for nothing, just because they are mountain in the historic program. But um, you know, there's been great leadership throughout both the offense and the defense. So we were ready for it. No one was really scared. I think I said in my interview after the game, at the end of the day, they're a very good program, very historic program, but, they're also Division three football players just like the rest of us, so they're not superheroes, and we made sure to uh, keep that in mind throughout the entire day. And I think a few of the first few drives, and especially seeing the defense play like they did, definitely helped uh, everyone kind of settle in and uh, knock some nerves off. I think a big part of that fourth quarter, I mean, obviously you guys scored 24 points on offense, right? And, you know, Mount Union did get two scores against you, but... Your guys uh, on the other side of the ball also had some big plays, a big interception that helped set you up in good position. I mean, it was just amazing to see. I, I don't think I've ever seen a defensive performance quite like that, with especially the guys that Mountain Union have, the athletes they have. Just seeing us like keep throwing haymakers, the entire thought this week was it's going to be a heavyweight battle, and we just want to go 12 rounds, stay up, throw some punches here and there, but mainly not make sure to not get uh, knocked down, and I think a huge play was when, uh, I think you mentioned it, Brock Boudry, uh had that interception. It was after one of our turnovers. We did some razzle-dazzle that didn't quite uh, turn out in our favor, but Brock came in for an injured Bryce Friedenberg. I think it was his second play in the game, picked it off. I thought he was going to score, um, but that, I mean, that just gave everyone life, I think, just showing we're still in this, not to back down. 
tell me a little bit about speed of the game playing those guys on Saturday compared to some of the other games you guys have played. And was it a significant, you know, kind of ramping up process? How did you feel like tempo wise? As you've said before, you're already a team that's going to play at a fast tempo, but it was like speed of athletes and the guys you're facing against them. Like, I mean, still, they're very good athletes. It wasn't ever anything overly different. I would say, I, I don't think they brought as much pressure as, we've seen in previous games where they're just blitzing down our throats the entire game. So I think they played a little bit more coverage. Um, so the offensive line did uh, very, very well. Credit to all of them, but especially J.B. Couch, Maddox Mozal, who's a, the guard, and Reese Townsend's a tackle. I think they've been making some very large steps. J.B. and Maddox are both sophomores. Reese is only a junior. So I think uh, having that young core uh, within that offensive line is – a very nice thing to see. And they did a great job with uh, being able to handle some of their stunt game and uh, some of their uh, blitzes when they did come. Let me ask you about uh, how you came to Alma in the first place. I know you had the opportunity to maybe be at Wabash the past couple of years and back up one of the top passers in division three these days in Liam Thompson, but instead you ended up in a pretty good spot. How did that come about? Yeah. So uh, my dad went to Kalamazoo. He grew up. One of his best friends is now the athletic director at Northwood. Coach Curtis, he went to Alma and was friends with Coach Couch. I think roomed with him, right? And so he put me in contact with Coach Couch, and I made a few visits uh, and instantly fell in love with the coaching staff. But I wasn't super highly recruited coming out of high school, but I pretty much knew right away it was between Alma and uh, Wabash. Kind of the deciding factor was I wanted the chance to be able to play kind of right away, and uh, I knew with uh, Liam that he he ended up taking his fifth year i think i honestly told everyone that if he didn't take his fifth year i probably would be a little giant right now just because learning behind him would be cool i'm friends with him i reach out to him when we played depaul and wittenberg so he gave me some helpful advice for those games um but yeah i just knew how special of a quarterback at uh liam was so and I, I knew i wanted to play right away so that if he didn't take his fifth year i probably would be uh in red and white right now I'm just going to give a moment of silence for Greg. Greg is a Wabash grad, and this will be news to him. I have not told him before that I knew that uh, Wabash was where you might have ended up. So just a moment for Greg to kind of uh, pour out his feelings on that one. And of course, so right, you came to Alma. You got the opportunity to start right away. Um, You're one of the few guys, too, on the roster who's, you know, not really from the state of Michigan. Tell us a little bit about, you know, Coming in, obviously this is like a year plus ago, right? But you know, when do you know you're taking the, you're going to get the start on uh, in week one and and all that? Well, I ended up starting week two. I was the backup for week one. Unfortunately, Trent Devro, who was the starter, got hurt, and then I was able to come in, and then had a little quarterback battle, and from there I was able to take over. But yeah, just coming up from Indiana it was a little different. Like, especially with the high school stuff, a bunch a bunch of guys were talking about like what levels and where they're from. And I just kind of sat back. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. It's a little bit colder up here, a little more wind, uh, which I hate, but I, I mean, I love it. This is a place I can easily call home. Now I'm not I'm not one of the, I love my family, but it's not something I need to go back to my uh, parents for every weekend. So I like staying up here. Coach Couch has made it a home here. I often stay over at his house uh, with JB because he's one of my best friends. So this is just, home to me now good reminder i i think uh, in my brain i had cemented that you were the week one starter but obviously we 
Yeah, you know, I think we remember hearing about that and you working your mm -hmm. way into the lineup and, and kind of making a name for yourself in Elma. And mm -hmm. along those lines, Greg and I have been talking uh, probably mostly off the air on the podcast for a little while that with your name, if this, especially if this were like D1 IL kind of territory, I was picturing, mm -hmm. and you, this is, a, this is a, uh, an idea, you can just take and run with it, but you know, Carter St. John to me just sounds like a line of fine men's clothing or maybe, you know, precision watches or something like that. What I jotted down in my notebook, and this is like maybe eight weeks ago, and, and maybe you could even see it, but what it says is when it comes time to close the deal, you can't afford to wear anything other than Carter St. John. So you have a lot of fine men's clothing in your closet. Uh, not really. I, my dad made me get a suit so I can try to start reaching out for some internship opportunities, but not really. I'm kind of a guy that likes, like I, when I came in, all the coaches were surprised because I, got all my stuff in extra large because uh, I like being super comfy and I'm not a big guy at all. So just having something super oversized, like I socks and sandals all the time, even now, even though it's snowing in Michigan. So I'm not a, not really a fine clothing kind of guy, but maybe if any NIL opportunities come about it, I'd switch my mind. Uh, I just keep the, keep those options open. Um, yeah. Internships in what, what, uh, what are you studying? Uh, business analytics, anything really in uh, the business world, not really too sure yet, but uh, hopefully trying to narrow that down within the next few months, really. It's hard to say you're coming up on the end of their sophomore year when you're really still kind of buried in the first semester, right, of yeah. it. But, you know, that is the time of year where that kind of stuff is uh, has got to get done, right? Yep. And now you're juggling so, that along with a couple of extra weeks of football practice, a couple of extra weeks of games. Yeah, we've made a few jokes that our grades are going to go way downhill uh, now that we've uh, kind of made a little bit of a run so far in the playoffs, but my dad would uh, be very unhappy with me if I didn't keep my grades up. So still got to hit the books here and there while balancing that with studying film and uh, just hanging out with my friends. I know we're talking early in the week and this is going to air later in the week. So between now and then you'll have an opportunity to see a lot more of what Cortland is going to bring, but have you seen anything so far? Do you know what you're preparing for? I haven't looked at it yet. We normally have uh, meetings on Monday night, so I really haven't seen anything yet. We just started. JB and I were down in the coach's office checking it out a little bit, but I haven't looked, gotten too much in detail quite yet. So Monday, if you ask me again, I'll have a different answer, but not quite. You're referring to somebody by initials, but I'm not sure that everybody knows who you're talking about. Jonathan Bruce Couch is his name. Oh, all right. JB. Yeah, so JB Couch is Coach Couch's son. Okay. JB is the center for us. All right. And so he's my best friend here. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, we haven't gotten many opportunities to go under center, but uh, hopefully we can uh, spike it once or twice because that's when we do go under center. It's a running joke we have. All right. I. Uh, it's important really for your center to be your best friend, right? Uh, I think so. He's the one that when I did come up on visits, he uh, got tagged along with me just because he was the coach's kid who's showing me around thankfully i think either uh he's a really good faker at uh enjoying my, me or uh yeah but i think we have a pretty special bond tell me about the offensive line right I, it, we can't really talk about quarterback or quarterback success without talking about the guys up in front yeah so i think it's kind of a joke here alma that i will not be caught without the offensive line um, all of them I've hung out since the day I stepped on campus pretty much. Uh, so those are my guys. I'm rooming with Maddox, Moselle, um, and then JB Couch and Reese Townsend, 
JB's the center, Reese is the right tackle. They're rooming together. They're right across the hall from us. And then we have uh, Owen Dank at uh, left tackle. And then at right guard, we kind of have a revolving door between Nico Preslowski and uh, Lance Rademacher, that uh, two seniors that'll rotate that spot, kind of just who's hot on the day and who's not. It's kind of just rotating like that. But they've done a great job, like I mentioned. Owen Dank, the left tackle, Maddox, and JB are all sophomores, uh, just like myself. So they're doing a very good job of handling uh, any pressure. And then along with Reese and uh, Nico and Lance's uh, senior leadership, Reese is a junior, but uh, he acts a lot like a senior with the way he speaks and the way he handles himself. So uh, I think they've done a really good job. I think a lot of people coming into the year thought that that would be our weakest point uh, just because we had graduated uh, four seniors from last year. But They've done one heck of a job uh, being able to protect me and uh, definitely opening up holes for our running backs this year, like Eddie Williams, Jordan, we talked about, uh, and uh, Khalil. Tell us a little bit about game day atmosphere at Alma College. What are you expecting on December 2nd? I think it should be pretty packed. Um, Like we said, this is the first uncharted territory for Alma. Um, This is the first time the college has won two playoff games, and this is the first time we have the chance to uh, play in our third so um should be huge I I really love it because even though I'm from Indiana all my family comes up Um, my sisters Ava and Hadley uh, will be there hopefully cheering on the Scots but it just means a lot just being able to have a lot of people from in town hopefully those people from breaks will be back uh, back in the student section I know a lot of them like to be kind of on the end zone area which is pretty cool when you score uh, being there right next to them and hearing them cheer Alma brings the great crowd and bulky is always rocking do you own a kilt i do i think i don't want to say i was the first one because coach couch definitely did it before me but i actually wore a kilt to my uh graduation party in high school and then brought it up uh with me uh to college and we do a thing called the scotsman walk before every home game and i think i'm not going to say i'm a trendsetter but a lot of people since uh jb and i started wearing kilts for that Scotsman walk, have uh, bought kilts. I think they sell them at the bookstore if anyone's interested. Um, And uh, so I do own a kilt, and I think a lot of the guys on the team, probably the majority of the guys on the team, also own a kilt. I think the quarterback has to be the trendsetter, right? You have to set the tone. I mean, a little bit. It doesn't hurt that the offensive line did it with me. Um, The big guys making sure all the young guys are um, staying in line with being able to get a kilt stand. Uh, with our culture, but it also doesn't hurt to see uh, Coach Couch in it, our leader, as well, being in one, regardless of the weather, as long as the wind doesn't uh, isn't too gusty. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it should be a good time. But yeah, a lot of guys definitely started wearing kilts uh, because of him. You know, I appreciate the moment there to collect myself. They're real brutal. And I did not know that Carter St. John was on the radar at Wabash, you know, recruiting can definitely be a game of timing and circumstances. The timing wasn't right for Carter St. John and Wabash, but the timing certainly right for Carter and Alma. One thing that stands out from that interview for me, Pat is one, how young that Alma offense is, particularly across the line. You look at them, it's sophomores and juniors uh, almost across the board. And they, they are already so good for being so young. It's going to be really fun to watch. St. John and that offensive line work together for another year or two in a lot of those cases. The second thing is the maturity of that group to go look at Mount Union and say, 
they're the same division three players we are. And then also believe it. I think a lot of teams have that mentality when they go play Mount Union. You sort of psych yourself up. They're they're the same dudes we are. But maybe you don't believe it, especially after a few series. But Alma believed it, they proved it, and they advanced. I think one of the things I've heard people say, people who are followers of the Mount Union program, when they're kind of decrying the state of the program right now, the state of the program that has won 42 of its last 45 games and played in the Stag Bowl last year, but say, do people get off the bus and get intimidated when they come into Alliance anymore? I don't know that that's the case. I I obviously don't know, right? I'm not inside the head of an Alma player. I'm not inside the head of a Wartburg player last year or Muhlenberg, which took Mount Union to overtime or Johns Hopkins, which played them tough multiple times in Alliance. I've just listed a number of schools over the course of the past several years who are not Purple Powers who went to Mount Union and none of those teams won, but they all competed and they were all basically coming from conferences that you would never would have thought would have competed previously. I mean, at some point, the mystique wears off, you know, I mean, at some point people stopped getting intimidated going to Augustana. I don't know exactly when that happened, but it did happen at some point, right? That has to be true. Yes. Sometime when I was a teenager, right. But it's been, Mount Union has not won a Stag Bowl since 2017. The last time the Stag Bowl was in Salem. Uh, You know, they have advanced pretty far in the playoffs since then, including runners up last year. Mount Union, they've they've been knocked off by other teams. Other programs have seen Mount Union lose games. And so maybe maybe some of that aura of invincibility has has worn off. I'm just disappointed that my dream of a fine clothing line with a certain Alma quarterback has gone out the window at this point. Never say never, Pat. Uh, you know, I when I was Carter's age, I wasn't necessarily into fine tailored clothing either i i preferred it uh you know larger loose baggy comfy as uh carter likes to say but uh you know give it some time let him declare a major and then maybe he'll get into some finer taste with his with his attire we're talking with kurt fitzpatrick the head coach at Cortland, headed to alma michigan for a quarterfinal, the quarterfinal that everybody predicted, Cortland at Alma. Coach, first off, this is a level of the playoffs that Cortland's been a couple of times before, but not very often. Just talk us through the, I don't know, the uh, the magnitude of the moment maybe for this program? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, we're, we're, you know, just stay, staying in the moment and, and just enjoy, and enjoying it. Um, yeah, Cortland's been... Uh, been to the quarterfinals three other uh, two other times 1988 2008 and now in 2023 so we're proud to be here certainly not satisfied excited to to have the opportunity to 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 play one more week and and try to keep this thing keep this thing moving um you know Alma's a terrific team obviously you don't go into Mount Union and win that game if you're not uh an unbelievable football team so we know we're going to have our hands full but you know it's uh it's our, our players are excited our campus is excited um our, our, you know, the outreach from alumni has been uh, has been uh, incredible. So we're you know, we're soaking it all in, but still focused on on the game, the game to be played, and and our preparation to to play a great Alma team, and you know, try to go up there and and, and get a victory. Um, just as I'm sure they're they're just as hungry as we are to to try to you know advance to the final four. I've got to ask: This is 526 miles by the NCAA calculator. Are you guys busting or flying? 
Uh, we had the option to fly. I'm actually choosing to bus. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a couple days and bus. I think it's a little less, you know, a little more in our wheelhouse. Um, and we have some alumni connected. We're gonna stop at the University of Michigan uh, to to make a practice and 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 tour their facility. Our players are excited about that. I debated it, and we had the option to fly, but I just think it's it's better better for our team to to do what we're accustomed to, which is life on the road on a bus. I, I can tell you, there's not. A particularly uh, nearby airport, you guys still would have spent some time in a bus. And I'm just going to say on behalf of the rest of NCAA Division Three, thank you for saving us just a small part of that 3.18% of the budget. We definitely appreciate it. Happy to that. do my part to make it financially work. Now, now let's get 40 teams in the playoffs next year and we'll we'll all bus. From your lips to every uh, Division Three voter's ears. And I would say this too, I mean, uh, as a guy who spent four very formative years of his life uh, just outside Ann Arbor a little bit, uh, what a great opportunity for your guys to have, you know, just that little extra bit of experience, a little bit of team building, you know, a photo opportunity, a selfie opportunity on the way to this big game. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, obviously we're going we're going there to play to play a national quarterfinal game, but to create memories for our players that will last a lifetime. That's, you know, I think that that's very important, too. So all part of the experience. All right, no, I know we are catching you in, you know, the very beginning of the week as we're having this conversation in terms of prep and that sort of thing. How much film here as we're talking mid-afternoon on Sunday have you actually looked at for Elma so far? Uh, not as much as I will by tonight, um, but uh, we've, I've watched about the first half of the game against Mount Union. Um, and just looking statistically, you know, Elma's a terrific, um, Terrific team, and their offense is outstanding. Their quarterback is is uh, is 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 terrific. They have a lot of big play receivers, uh, very consistent defensively. They're long and athletic. Um, so j- just what I expected, honestly, when you turn on the film and you get to this point in the year, and those teams that are still playing are very very good. Uh, you know, so uh, you know we know we're gonna have to put together a great great game plan, and we feel like we have some players that can play on this stage too, and we're excited you know, excited to to get through the week and, pre- and prepare prepare for this game but they're they're very well very well coached uh football team um not surprised they were able to go in watching the film not surprised they were able to go into uh to alliance and and, and get a win um so you know uh it's gonna gonna be a challenge one one that we're we're ready for i think and and, and excited excited for so you said you watched the first half just so you know the second half is uh is the even better much half. better <laughs> um haven't got to that fourth quarter yet but <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, there will probably be a lot of notes. I think there are a lot of snaps, a lot of snaps in fourth quarter of that game for sure. I wanted to get your take on Carter St. John versus Zach Boys. I feel like, you know, statistically on paper, these guys are pretty similar, right? They're both mm-hmm. able to pull the ball down and run it. They, they're they both, you know, quarterbacks who have led this team to this point. So, you know, from more of a, I don't know, a coaching perspective, someone who's better at this than I am, what's your take? Yeah. I uh, haven't watched a ton of Carter play other than other than a few a, a few clips um, in the first half amount. But from what I've seen, and statistically, he and Zach are, are very similar in a lot of ways. Dual threat, strong arm, um, ability to throw in in and out of the pocket. Um, you know, kind of the engines that drive both offenses. As I watch more, I, I've I've heard that you know I feel like I'm going to be impressed the more the more I watch him. So I've coached quarterbacks my whole career, and you know, right. he's definitely a great one. It's going to be a great a great quarterback battle. Uh, you know, Zach, he and Zach do do a great job, and both teams have receivers that that can you know take a short pass and make it a long gain, or you know go go over the top. And he's certainly probably the best quarterback that that maybe maybe we've played we've played all year. Um, most dynamic. So we 
I'll have to watch a little bit more film, but uh, sure, you know, sure. I, I think we're gonna we're definitely gonna gonna have some. You know, he poses some problems that we're gonna have to try and try try and solve, and that's that's the nature of the game. That's what's fun about football, the chess match. For sure, give us kind of your assessment of Boise's play over the course of the playoffs. Right, obviously a, a bit of a struggle at Endicott. Uh, you know, Endicott, I think we know from having watched them this year, they're pretty, they're pretty good defensively. That is, you know, yep. not a uh, pushover by any uh, stretch of the means. And that I thought played a little better, certainly statistically played better on Saturday. Yeah, played better Saturday. Um, a, lo- a lot of it is game situation too, uh, game flow, Endicott, the weather, it was a bad weather day, windy, rainy, and, and also the, the looks that we're seeing, you know, um, Endicott played a lot of cover too, a lot of too deep, uh, deep safeties. So throws more went to the middle of the field. Our slot receiver Joe Idevio had, uh, I think he he led us in receptions that day. Burgess had a couple over the middle. Yep. Um, and then in the red zone, we we ran the ball more. Uh, we weren't successful in the red zone either against Endicott. Uh, kind of you know that was my, my fault with the plan and some of our execution. We settled for field goals. Um, just just a tough day overall. Um, not Zach's best game, but I, I think part of it, you know, was just a not a great statistical day for quarterbacks. Be- because of the weather and the, and the game flow Grove city played a little bit more middle field close one high safety defense. Um, and okay. so we got more opportunities, good looks to throw the ball and throw the ball down the field. Um, and we were prepared for that. Uh, and, and Zach and, and our receivers, you know, made, made, made more, more plays. So statistically uh, a better game, but Zach, Zach's very consistent. He's consistent in his preparation. Um, I think he's handled adversity this year better than he did as a sophomore last year in his first year starting, yeah. you know, so take last yesterday's game. He makes, um, in, in you know, his words, not mine. He made a boneheaded play throwing the interception in the fourth quarter, um, but is able to bounce back and come right back on the field with confidence to, to lead our team down the field to, to score the touchdown and then the two point conversion to win. So, you know, just a great, great leader, very consistent, um, and, uh, you know, he's he's a, he's a pleasure to coach. Yeah, I thought it was a key moment. Obviously, of course, it's a key moment, right? Yeah, but you guys, you know, throw the intercession, but then quick change, you get it right back. And, you know, frankly, I think there was, you know, maybe some thought as to, you know, was 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 Zach banged up, right? He, you know, spent a little time on the sidelines getting looked at, and then he comes in and throws a pick, and that's just a, you know, that's just a bad combination of things, but then uh, kind of gathered himself. Yeah, he's the type of player that he wants the ball back. You know, if he, he makes a mistake, he he wants to right to right the wrongs. Um and uh so I you know I have full confidence in him. Um, you know, he was a little banged up as as quarterbacks get this late in the year when you run the ball like he does too, but um nothing that he that he couldn't 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 play through and overcome. Um and so he, you know, he's in big moments I trust him. Uh as as most teams who have good quarterbacks, Alma probably feels the same way about about their quarterback. Um so, uh, you know, Zach, pr- proud of his, his resiliency. Um, and I don't think we would have won yesterday if, if he didn't, 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 was a, wasn't able to bounce back and make the plays that he did. All right. Tell us a little bit about uh, Jaden Alfano St. John, who I don't know if he's going to end up being the St. John in this game or the other St. <laughs> John. Um, uh, similarly, I think in the playoffs, you know, you had a game where you leaned on him super heavily and you've already talked about the, maybe the weather had a, a big part to do with that. You give it to your guy who's going to hang onto the ball and keep it on the ground. And then, you know, not as many touches on Saturday, but just tell us a, a little bit about his progression as a runner this year. Yeah. Jaden is, uh, he's been, a, this is his third year as our, as our running back. He's been, been with us since he was a freshman, getting a lot of carries. Um, again, 
every year with experience, he's more, more and more consistent. Um, in the playoffs, you know, the game against Endicott, he played outstanding. He got more good looks to run the ball. I mentioned that, that they were playing more two-eye safety defense. Um, and and he, he, we were able to lean on him and, t- and take advantage. We, we try to preach balance in our offense and letting the defense decide where the ball goes or what types of plays that that we run. Um, and J- Jaden, you know, he's always ready. He always wants the ball, as most running backs do. Um, but he's also a great blocker, too. He had a great block on a touchdown run that Zach had yesterday. So he's a very selfless player. And we, he didn't get as many carries as he got against Endicott, but I thought he played just as effectively. He was great in pass protection. Um, so really, you know, he's the type of back that can do it all. He can, uh, can run with the ball, he can block, and he can also catch the ball in the backfield. Tell us about some of the guys who have been making uh, big strides for you guys defensively this year. Uh, it's our, 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 our inside linebacker, Jack Whiney, is a tremendous football player. He's been our leading tackler all year. He's a sideline-to-sideline side uh, Mike linebacker. Um, and, you know, he's, he's just, just been consistent. I've used that word with, you know, some of our offensive guys too, Zach and Jaden. Um, Jack's a consistent player. He's the same guy every day in practice. Um and our defensive line, it, it, we've been healthy all year up front. Uh, Nick Lardaro, Max Llewellyn, Sam Maddy, Matt Ferrer. Uh, you know, as our D-line goes, our defense goes. You know, if we can pressure the quarterback, uh, you know, getting pressure on the quarterback makes your your defensive backs um, look a lot better, you know. And, and then uh, I'd like like to mention our, 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 our corner, number seven, Mark Noel. Uh, was a senior, fifth-year senior was injured to start the year, did not play until I think our fifth game of the season. Okay. And he's now back healthy and playing, playing outstanding football. Our offense gets a lot of notoriety, but our defense the last few weeks has come up huge in, in, in helping us win. So we're learning now how to play team football and win team football, complimentary football. Uh, and I think that's how you got to win in the postseason. Tell us a little bit about the grind it's been over the course of the past several weeks, right? I mean, so we just had two playoff games that both, you know, went down to the final play of the game. Uh, you had uh, Cortica Jug game before that, and then before that you had Brockport, and Brockport was not going to let anything be easy against anybody else in the Empire Eight all year. That is, you know, four weeks in a row, and now coming up on five of really intense yeah. preparation and intense game day for you guys. Yeah, it's uh, and we knew going into the season the way our schedule was set up that you know always playing Cortica at the end of the year, we know that's going to be you know a highly emotional. Mm-hmm game against a really really good opponent it's going to have to be physical if you're going to win that game you got to play physical football and with Brockport right before that they they kind of force you to be a physical team too to win so and then obviously you get into the tournament and you're playing turn playing playoff teams it's it, it takes the same the same formula so you know it just you know the way our schedule is set up it's it's a wear and tear on the bodies of our players but um I also think it's preparing us to win these games um and going back to early in our season when we we played Delaware Valley in our opening game and played Susquehanna in week three and you know learned learned some lessons in that and that loss close, close loss to them at home, um, you know playing a schedule not not just for playoff seating purposes with strength of schedule numbers but to actually prepare your team to win games against other playoff teams. Oh yes, that's also I, important. Not just the that's numbers. also very important. <laughs> I, I think we're starting. You know, I think we we've seen that so far that you know our team is tested is battle is battle tested um so you know at this time of year you got to kind of manage some of the injuries and keeping your guys fresh uh with preparation especially when you play a four game stretch like we have but you know i really feel like ending the season having to play like we had to play to win those two games kind of set us up for success in the in in the playoffs and um here we are 
Meanwhile, I just feel like this season has to be a stress test on you as a, you know, stress test on the heart, right? I mean, it's right, Susquehanna, you know, not to relive bad memories, but of course they went on the last play of the game. Grove City had an opportunity to do that on Saturday. Endicott had an opportunity to do that the Saturday before. All right, I just want to make sure you're okay. <laughs> well, you can see my, my hairline, you know, we're on Zoom <laughs> right now. Uh, I had a little more hair when the season started than I do than I do now, but it's all good. Um, you know, I'm just just happy that we're in these games to win them close. And like I said yet yesterday to some someone who asked, I can't remember who it was, but it's it's, it's better to win close than lose close. Greg, I don't like to put drops in the middle of an interview. I don't like to interrupt our interviewees with a drop, but I'm just going to throw this right here right now. Taking the bus by choice, but, you know, I really like that call by Kirk Fitzpatrick steering into the kind of blue collar thing, but also taking the opportunity to give his players some cool experiences by traveling through Ann Arbor and the big house. At the end of the day, this is all about student athlete experience. And it's cool that not only will Kurt Fitzpatrick go for two when the game is on the line, but he will go the extra mile to find a chance to give his team this kind of bonus where the opportunity prevent presents itself as it does this weekend with the trip to Michigan. We've talked with people on both sides of this matchup. We've talked a little bit about boys versus St. John in terms of being fairly similar. Now I want to go the other way around and talk about St. John versus Williams, regardless of which Williams either or both line up at running back for Alma on Saturday. I think one of the places where there's a big advantage, obviously, is Jaden Alfano St. John on the Cortland side. Alfano St. John has games where he puts up massive stat lines, and then he has other games where, you know, you might see him do 12 for 40, you know? Yeah. And they use him as they need to, and when he's the hot guy, they give it to him. And, you know, this is a game where I think Portland might want to try and control the clock a little bit and keep Alma's fast offense off the field. I don't know that it really matters. I, they I Alma does not care about time and possession I, at all. I don't either. Their defensive players like to stay on the field as long as humanly possible. So playing 90 defensive snaps did not bother them whatsoever. No, not at all. Some interesting stats that I looked up in this one, Pat Alma, Number two in the nation in pass yards per attempt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going we're going there. And Cortland, number six in pass <laughs> yards per attempt. Nice. Uh, these are teams that take shots. They go down the field. And weather permitting, I think this is going to be a really fun game with a lot of offense. We didn't see Mount Union take a lot of shots. I didn't see from the stream what was happening downfield. So I don't know if Mount Union playing a a closer to the line of scrimmage kind of game was a choice or if the coverage was good downfield and they didn't have those shots. But I think what I know about Fitzpatrick and boys is they're going to take their shots. They're going to go for it. And Alma's going to do the same thing. Uh, I expect the ball to be in the air and could, could get a track meet here. Could get a track meet, could get a very windy track meet, could get a windy, snowy, blowy track meet up in Alma, Michigan. Looking forward to that. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Egan Hyde, Egan's senior cornerback for UW-Whitewater. Of course, UW-Whitewater playing in the national quarterfinals at Wartburg on Saturday. Egan, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Pronunciation 101. Beautivistic. Monon Bell. 
Buna Vista! Gallardi. Muhlenberg. Worcester. Egan Hein. That is how you pronounce Egan Hein's first name. All right. First off, you guys are going on the road on Saturday. How are you guys preparing for that road trip? Was was it a surprise? Does it matter to you guys? Not a surprise. No, it doesn't really matter. I think every week we kind of had the same approach, same process. I mean, Coach Rindo always talks about nameless great face. That's kind of like one of our yeah. sayings this year. Yep. Just kind of doing the same thing every week. doesn't really matter who we're playing. I mean, we know Warburg's a great team. They went to the semis last year, basically with the team they have now. We know, we know how good they are and we know what type of game it is, but we're not, we don't let that moment, you know, get too big. Like I said, it's the same process week in, week out. And I think that's kind of how we stay even keel throughout the week. Jace Rindle was on podcast 328 for people who are listening to our podcast back in, uh, I don't know, March, May, something like that. Mm-hmm. Talked about nameless gray face. So it should be familiar. If you're listening to the off season podcast, I don't know why I'm pointing at the camera. Only you can see that. <laughs> What's it like having... Jace as head coach, right? Obviously not new to the program and not new to your side of the ball, but mm-hmm. how's it been this first season so far? I mean, it's been it's been awesome. Like kind of like you said, uh Coach Rindo was our D coordinator for three years, two years, and he was my DB coach for for a couple of years. So I'm really familiar with him. The defense is really familiar with him. Uh the university is really familiar with him. You know, right. he played here, won a few national championships, coached here, was a part of a couple more national championships. Uh, so he's just, you know, he's kind of built into that culture. Uh, so he's kind of, you know, he's been around. And I think, you know, when you look at a guy like him, like Coach Randall, a guy who's, you know, been in the program for so long, I think that's kind of like what our program is, you know, based off. I mean, we powered by tradition. And I think, you know, he's the perfect fit for us. And, you know, uh, he leads by example. He pushes us. You know, the standard is the standard. And, it's not going to be compromised. You know, he's done a really good job of kind of holding us, you know, to that line, to that standard this this entire year. And so this year, new defensive coordinator is Marcus McLinn. Marcus is a guy who should be familiar to D3 fans as well and mm-hmm. obviously very familiar to the uh, Whitewater community. Yeah, also a guy who played at Whitewater, won a national championship at Whitewater, was an All-American at Whitewater, just yeah. like Coach Rindle. Uh Also All-American at my position, which... right. Helps me tremendously. Uh, probably one of the best coaches that I've ever been around in my entire life. And what he's done for our defense, what he's done for me, what he's done for the defensive back group, uh, you know, I don't know where our team would be without him. Without getting into too much maybe of the secret sauce, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what are the things that you've learned and the rest of your guys in the secondary have learned from Marcus this year? Um, he's just, you know, he's really kind of like uh, opened our eyes to just kind of new things and, kind of how to anticipate and uh, read coverages or read the offense, read defenses or read offenses, I'm sorry, wide receivers, uh, things like that. Just kind of – and he also kind of instilled this kind of like no fear mentality. We can, we play a very aggressive style of defense, especially on the back end, and that kind of takes, you know, you have to be confident in yourself, uh, no fear, you know. We don't fear anybody, no receivers, nothing like that. So, I mean, just kind of like bringing – you know, he believes in us – bringing that uh, confidence along with us and kind of trusting him to go about our business and do what we know we can do. That aggressiveness on defense is not new, right? I wouldn't say it's new. I mean, it's, I mean, fairly new. I mean, I feel like our, our defensive philosophy over the last maybe five or six years has changed. I mean, last year we were very aggressive, but I would say, you know, especially on the back end now with the coverages that we play, 
a lot more man-to-man uh, style techniques, a lot more, you know, pressing at the line of scrimmage, just kind of, you know, being aggressive. I would say that's more that's more new for, for our defense over the last couple of years. I've heard people talk about this Whitewater defense or the Whitewater secondary maybe specifically as kind of a no-name defense. Now, you're obviously not that guy, right? You're a, a pre, you've previously been an All-American. You're a two-time D3Football.com All-Region player. But tell us a little bit, uh, put some names on uh, the rest of that secondary for us. Tell us about these guys. Yeah, so we got a lot of young guys coming in. So like at the beginning of the year, uh, we had a lot of guys that maybe uh, people didn't hear about. Uh Caden Sleets, he's a guy who, you know, week one to week uh, whatever we're in now, he's improved tremendously. Uh, Tyson Harvey is another one of those guys. You know, week from week one to week now, wherever we're in, he's also improved tremendously. 14. 14 I think 14. Week 14. Yeah. It's, it's been so long. I mean, every week kind of just blends in at this point. No worries. <laughs> and then you got Kyle Koblinger, who right. has been here for two years, very experienced, probably one of the best boundary safeties in the country, in my opinion. And then uh, Dyson Klubertans, who stepped up and played field safety really well for us. So, I mean, we we got some dudes. Uh, we got a lot, a lot of young guys. So, I mean, like I said, from week one to week 14 now, a lot of improvement. And every week, everyone's getting better and better and better, which is a really good sign for our defense, especially moving forward. Your brother, Steven, is on the team. He's a wide receiver, right? So, I have to imagine at some point, you guys – you know, not only play together, but go up against each other in practice. But just tell us a little bit about about Steven, what it's like to have him around. I mean, yeah, uh, it's awesome. We go against each other a lot, uh, you know, especially because he's a wide receiver. Right. But it's just it's just really cool to have, you know, your brother with me at the university. Uh, growing up, we were never really on the same teams ever because I'm two years older than him. So okay. this was like the first time when he came to Whitewater is the first time that we were able to play together. And it's just like, you know. I mean, I don't know if you have a brother, but people who know, just kind of growing up, it's very competitive and yeah, still very competitive, <laughs> especially because he plays wide receiver. So it's a lot of fun. It makes me better, makes him better, makes practice more fun because it means a little bit more when you're going against your your brother, especially when he's your little brother. Like you don't want to lose that that matchup. <laughs> no, that's true. And you bring up something that I think you know people might not understand, right? It's like. You know, you look at someone, if you've got a brother on the team, right, you might think, oh, yeah, these guys have been playing together all along. But, yeah, right at the high school level, if you're more than a year apart, you guys are probably not on the same team at high school, right? Yeah, so like I said, this was the – when he was a freshman and whatever, I was a junior, that was the first time we were ever technically on the same team, on the same field together. And, you know, last year when he got bumped up to starter and we were both, you know, playing a lot, that Mm -hmm. that was the first time we were, you know, sharing the field together, so special for sure in the past week or week and a half or so you were named a Gallardi trophy semifinalist. uh tell us a little bit about what that means to you how that feels that sort of thing um it's awesome i mean definitely wasn't expected uh i was meeting with coach mcclin i think it was tuesday when it got announced i don't remember yeah. uh, i came back into the locker room and someone said something to me about it and i thought they were just joking and i've kind of just laughed it off you know, not even thinking, kind of like, why is he even making that joke? Like, huh, it's kind of funny. <laughs> then he ended up showing me, you know, the the tweet with my picture on it. And I was like, wait a second, is that actually real? And then I ran over to my phone and I looked and, you know, very surprised. Uh, it's awesome. Very honored to represent uh, Whitewater, the university and the football team. But like I said, it's really cool. It's, it's nice to have some recognition for sure. 
I would say that uh, it's good to have a healthy skepticism of something that you only see on social media. So good job in uh, going mm-hmm. going and checking yeah. it out. Most people at the Division Three level don't get the opportunity to play in front of 15,000, 17,000, even 20,000 fans. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that's like. Uh, yeah, there's no better place to play it than the perk, especially uh, Division Three. I mean, a lot of guys don't don't get to have that opportunity. So, I mean, that's kind of one of our big things with recruiting is, you know, you come here, there's going to be a chance you're going to get to play in front of 1,050 in front of 15,000 people, 20,000 people. I mean, it's no high school atmosphere, that's for sure. I mean, when people, other teams come to Perkins Stadium, you you know, they're kind of starstruck a lot. You know, you can see them walking the field, taking pictures. So, I mean, it's just a really cool experience. And it's just, so we have a great fan base. Uh, people do care about us here in Whitewater, which is really cool and really unique, really special. Uh, and, you know, like I said, it's just kind of part of the tradition. You know, we talk about part by tradition a lot. And that's, you know, that's kind of part of it. And then I have to ask, obviously, UW Lacrosse is still in this playoff as well. They've gotten just as far as you guys have so far. Does that make you happy because it makes the conference look good? Or does that annoy you because this is one of your rivals that's uh, that's still in this field, too? Um, I, I don't really know. I don't really have a comment. I mean, good for them. It's a good team. You know, you know, they played us well. But, you know, we're just kind of focused on us right now. It's not really... We're not focused on them or North Central or whoever, whoever it may be. We're just kind of worried about Warburg right now. And, you know, if we end up playing them, that'd be awesome. If we don't, so be it. And we just, like I said, focus on this week. Egan Hyde not taking the bait on whether it's good or bad for lacrosse to still be in this bracket. I did honestly expect perhaps a possibility that, yeah, it's great for the WIAC. This is how good the WIAC is. You Clearly, you see two of us in the national quarterfinals. That's what I was going for. Anyway, no tunnel vision, singularly focused on nameless gray face, right? Yes, exactly. Good to be singularly focused on Wartburg. That's going to be a big challenge for Whitewater, but it is an interesting turnabout from last year where both Whitewater and lacrosse got knocked out in the first round. That was a big talking point. Our number one ranked conference, both teams out in the first round uh, this year, two in the quarterfinals with a chance to put two in the semifinals. So you're telling me there's a chance. The Whitewater going to Wartburg. If you look at Logan Hansen ratings, for example, Logan Hansen ratings for as long as I've known them have been high on Wartburg. Wartburg lived up to that billing a year ago. And if I read correctly, the ratings on a neutral field favor Whitewater. Yeah, I'm looking at the Hansen ratings and the game projections. This week, a lot of big game scores, by the way, this week. A lot of really big game scores. But we're looking at, according to Logan Hansen, Wisconsin-Whitewater, about a 2.4-point favorite at Wartburg. 56% chance to win, yeah. Yeah, so this is a... This is a game certainly within within the margin of error. I think we expected that this might be the case. I look at Wartburg, and I think offensively they present similarly to Wheaton Hmm. in that they've got a really powerful running game with a really strong running back who I think gets most of the attention, but also a very good pass game with a very capable running or very capable quarterback and some wide receivers that maybe we sleep on a little bit. 
I think the difference is Warburg's defense is obviously a, a little bit different animal than what Wheaton had. Yeah. Uh, I don't expect 49 to 42 this week for sure. And uh, for Whitewater, I'm looking at Tamir Thomas coming off of a game ball performance. I think his ability to help keep the chains moving and keep the ball out of the air, which is where Wartburg's defense gets really dangerous is when you're throwing it around. Whitewater's ability to to pound the rock is going to be crucial for their chances to win. On the other side, all I have to say is his name is Turbo, as we've been telling you, that you can understand why. The one semifinal game I think we can be pretty certain is going to be at whoever wins Hopkins, Randolph, Macon, right? Both of those teams regionally ranked number one, so they should host over the winner of Alma Cortland. You just, you just, this is the thing about this bracket, Greg. You just kind of blew my mind. It's like Johns Hopkins or Randolph Macon is going to be hosting a game on ESPN plus. That's mind boggling. It's what an interesting year. It is. Now, certainly Homewood Field has seen plenty of national television coverage. That wouldn't be a new thing there, but right. But it's all been lacrosse. Yeah. Yeah. ESPN, ESPN rolling into Ashland, Virginia would definitely be a new thing and a lot of fun. They got to get special guest analyst Keith McMillan in the booth. Who do we know at ESPN who can make that happen? You would think you would think it would make sense for people who know Division three football to be on those games. On the other side, I don't think we know who's hosting uh, based on who wins. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that I could go and in ways that I can't predict off the top of my head. Here's a little bit more about UW lacrosse from Saturday's postgame. I just have a plethora of weapons um, to choose from. I mean, our, our OC, M Michael McGuire, he gets us into really good play calls and then lets these guys just run fast. And I, I'm just... It makes my job really easy when I um, when they're running wide open, you know. But I mean, yeah, you can't say enough about the guy, our our skill players. Um, they just they always find a way to get those 50-50 balls. They they understand the game of football, so they're not just they're not just out there running routes, um, um, like like really um, like they have a feel of like what what defenses are running. So um, like when you have smart kids out there um, who are also super athletic. Um, it makes for uh, really special players. And then obviously our, our backs, um, they, they run the ball as hard as anybody in the league, um, anybody in the nation. So, I mean, when you have um, versatile backs um, with a match with the O-line up front, um, it, it gets really special. Kaiser Helterbrand, the voices you heard there. In the battle of quarterbacks, these are probably, probably have to both be guys who are on our All-America team. I hate to give away two of our four spots right here, but... Luke Lanin, yeah, yeah, that's an All-American. Kaiser Helterbrand, I can't imagine anything he could do right now that would make us think otherwise. They have both had uh, super amazing years. Yeah, both of them absolutely outstanding. We've talked about Kaiser Helterbrand in and around game balls the entire season, it feels like. Uh, Luke Lanin is breaking the the quarterback efficiency scale this, this, uh, <laughs> yes. this season for – a while there, he had one more touchdown than incomplete passes. You know, they I think both of those quarterbacks have just been incredible. Probably looking, I mean, are there are there two better run pass threats in the division right now? I'm not sure that there are. Maybe not, but uh, 
Does Carter St. John play himself onto our All-America team here over the course of however many games he has left? I don't think he's far. No, that fourth quarter was a good was a good start for uh, maybe climbing the ladder a little bit. Uh, he's got another game with, against another quarterback who is in that conversation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think part of this question, too, is going to be resolved when you see the Region 4 All-Region team. I think that's a very, very difficult choice that I do not look forward to to having to vote on here over the course of the uh, next couple of days. Defensively, my question is, you know, as always, right, can the lacrosse defense contain North Central, right? You can't stop them. The lacrosse path to victory has to be like 56 to 55 kind of thing. Yeah, I think it almost has to look a little bit like the – 2019 North Central Mount Union game where yeah. it's just shootout and that game did not quite end with the last team with the ball winning but pretty close. Yeah, Lacrosse's path there has to involve a lot of points. I think somehow you've got to steal a possession or two whether you do something tricky with an onside kick or maybe get a turnover somehow some way, but North Central doesn't really do much of that either. Yeah. It's a big big hill for Lacrosse to climb as good as they are. I think we've seen North Central has a gear that other teams just don't have. A gear or two, if you ask me. Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. We put out the call and you responded on a Tuesday night in November. Thank you for doing so. Trevor Castle at Voice of the Dutch asking... Great thinker type of questions that uh, we really like on this podcast. The question was, what has been the key to the rise of North Central as a national power? Perennial playoff team for more than a decade, but never a real threat. And now it's about to be three and four years. And then related, who's the next program poised to take the leap? Great question. Key to the rise of North Central as a national power. I think part of it, you know, Greg, was just the, the consistency with which they built the program too, right? When when John Thorne came in in the mid-2000s, this was an afterthought program in the CCIW, and he built them into a team that could win the Little Brass Bell and then win the conference on a regular basis and win a playoff game or two, right? But if you're at that level and then you get a couple of special kids, you get a Brock Rudder, you get some great offensive linemen, you get a couple of playmakers defensively, that's the difference between being a team that's going to probably peter out in the quarterfinals and being a team that's going to play in wherever the national championship game is held in any particular year. Yeah, you know, the North Central finally in 2019 got over the Wabash hurdle in the playoffs. I kid. That's the hurdle they all talk about in 2019. That's right. The next week, the next week, they got over the Mount Union hurdle. And, um, you know, that was kind of the kind of the thing that I think unlocked them to get all the way to the national championship game. And in their championship run, they beat Mount Union. They beat uh, Wisconsin Whitewater, which is a team that they had struggled with in the playoffs previously to win that first championship. I think the key, Pat, and you can look at Brock Rutter and Luke Lanin and Ethan Greenfield, those great skill players that they've had. But the thing that North Central has right now that is without peer is offensive line. I think they their offensive line 
is so dominant. Nobody has been able to figure out how to stop them from running explosively. Yeah. The next team that figures out how to make North Central grind out three or four yards a a carry is the next team that has a chance to beat them. I think, too, back to, you know, the last years that Jeff Thorne was there. It was a guy who had basically, if I remember correctly, three offensive coordinators, right? Jeff Thorne had been an offensive coordinator under his dad. There was the offensive coordinator at the time, Brad Spencer. And then there was the guy who had been the offensive coordinator at Aurora came over to join North Central and became the offensive line coach there. There's a lot of guys who know a whole metric crap ton about offense coming in that program at one time, too. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, their offensive output speaks for itself. Like we have noted almost on a weekly basis, kind of the ridiculous video game like numbers that they're putting up against real people who are actually trying to stop them, uh, but just can't. So yeah, offensively, they're great. Not to take anything away from North Central's defense. Also, they do a very good job. Yeah. You know, last week we saw them intercept Tucker Horn three times, his only three interceptions of the season. The defense makes it really difficult on you as well. More on North Central's defense coming up in my feature on Thursday. There you go. So keep an eye out for that on D3football.com. The related question, who's the next program poised to take the leap? If I think about when I described where North Central was before their breakout years, I think about Aurora, maybe. Maybe I think about Wartburg. Wartburg is right there. Wartburg is already a little beyond that. And you get your next special quarterback, your next special running back, some, you know, big play wide receiver and the guys up front, right? like you were talking about. Um, I think those are programs that currently are poised to do that. Maybe Johns Hopkins. Alma needs about three more years of current state before we can put them in, I think, that next category. But I think those are the kind of teams I'm thinking about off the top of my head. I think Hopkins is an interesting choice there. I think in the sort of in the world of graduate transfers and Johns Hopkins being a a major research university with graduate programs, they have an opportunity to uh, maybe supplement their roster with older players taking one more year to play. I think that's an opportunity that Hopkins has that a lot of other schools maybe do not. Yeah, that's a good point. We talk about all the fifth year guys and, Pedro Ruza earlier on talked about all the fifth-year guys on his roster and how everybody else could take advantage of that, but not everybody else has the opportunity to do what you just talked about. We are in the basketball world right now, and you could read this feature on D3Hoops.com talking about a couple of programs in the University Athletic Association, which is a non-factor football-wise, but an amazing basketball conference. Case Western Reserve University has been a big magnet for those kind of players over the last couple of years. NYU right now, they don't have football, but, you know, a an amazing institution of higher learning themselves. And they've had a number of grad transfers, both men's basketball and women's basketball. Johns Hopkins profiles exactly like a UAA school. And there are probably other schools that are poised to do that as well. That's a that is a facet of this I hadn't thought about. Trevor, thanks for the question. I know we've turned this into a long podcast, but hopefully It's a podcast that you like, and thank you for that question. Greg, just a couple of news items before we head out the door. We alluded to it in the cold open, but 
the brief, brief history of the Moscac is going to be super brief. We're just going to have one year where you've got Castleton added to the current group. And then when Anna Maria and Dean come in, farewell, all of you schools that also play in the Little East. That is Western Connecticut. That's Plymouth State. That's Mass Dartmouth. That's Castleton. So they go from Moscac to back to Mascac or maybe Manos Cac. And so those four teams in the Little East could be core members of a conference that then just needs to find two affiliates and take yet another automatic bid away from the rest of us. I don't know quite where those schools are right now. I speculated that maybe Southern Maine might want to add football. They've talked about it multiple times over the course of the last 20 years or so. Gallaudet is certainly a free agent out there. It would be a long drive for them to go play all of those games up in Massachusetts and Connecticut and Vermont, but it would be a place for them to have a home. And then before we go, I just want to say congratulations to the Chimera family. At the moment that we're recording this, Hopkins head coach Greg Chimera is currently at the hospital awaiting the birth of his second child. So hopefully by the time you hear this, all is well. And congratulations, especially for having a baby born during the playoffs, not on a Saturday or a Friday. That's great news. Congratulations to everybody around the Johns Hopkins program. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 346, released on November 30th, 2023. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for more coverage this week. Keep an eye out for quick hits. We get not only our score predictions on Friday morning, but also a couple of sentences of analysis. It's not just 41 to 27. It's 41 to 27. And here's kind of why, but you know, this other team also doesn't suck. That's what we're going for. Hopefully we get that detail out of Keith McMillan at some point so that we can put it on the website and have it ready to go on Friday morning when you wake up. We're very thankful for the support of our monthly Patreon subscribers. You can join them in supporting us or you can learn more about it by visiting patreon.com slash d3sports. And if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, tell a classmate, tell a fellow alum about the show. Give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined because that is still a thing that works to bring people to this podcast. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on X. Use that D3FB hashtag. People follow the hashtag. That is how hashtags work. I post from at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. Keith is at D3Keith. And hopefully he'll tweet at the national quarterfinal that he's at on Saturday. Again, you can guess which one. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know it is currently operating? You can join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com. And you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Patrick Coleman. It's written by Patrick Coleman and Greg Thomas. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and Damara O'Malley. Additional audio this week from Keith McMillan. Thanks to Kurt Fitzpatrick, Carter St. John, and Egan Hine for joining us on this podcast as well. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks, and you can find them at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Keith McMillan, the OG host, occasionally a voice you still hear, not always just in pre-recorded drops. Oh, yeah, this is going to be good. We're super grateful for his contribution and even more grateful that, Greg, you were able to join us for a second time this week to co-host this show. Great to be back. 
in the studio for a second time this week. I love setting up uh, the studio twice in one week. Definitely love that. Uh, yeah, no, this was fun. Get a good quarterfinal preview in. We get to hear a lot from uh, some longer form uh, interviews that we don't always get to do during the regular season. So a lot of good content worth worth the effort to put it out this uh, midweek. I, speaking of long form interviews, I was just kind of compiling my list of people I might want to talk to in the offseason. At the top of the list was Blaine McCorkle of Bellhaven and uh, Big Scratch right now. He is off to become the head coach at Northwestern State in Louisiana. Congrats to him. And yeah, that'll be interesting. Congrats indeed. We did a Around the Nation with Bellhaven and Blaine McCorkle. He was a lot of fun to talk to. Wish him all the best at Northwestern State. That's a big job down there. But uh, moving up to FCS for Blaine McCorkle, getting a little, getting a little bit closer back to uh, his SEC roots. Greg, this podcast is really long. How long is it? It's an hour and 25 minutes. Thank you. I, that's why we're going to put it out on Thursday. You're going to have a couple of days to listen to it before games get started. And if you're driving, you know, from, say, Cortland, New York to Alma, Michigan, you're going to need the company. Get that in under an hour if you go 1.5 speed. Yeah, but if you go 155 speed, you're never going to understand any of the things we say because we're going to be talking too fast and it's never going to be understandable in any way, shape, or means, or forms. I haven't done that gag in a long time. Margraf was, he always treated me so well. He's a uh, great him guy. and Mike Drass were like two of the best guys. Drass was awesome. I ever Drass, Drass was another guy. I, I love Drass. There's a lot of good guys. Steve, Steve Johnson's another guy. Oh, that, he's retiring this year. Yeah, I just talked to Steve like, like, Three days ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He and I, he and I got to know each other over the years, kind of with a Wheaton connection a little bit. Imagine, but yeah. I just, you know, they're a tough, tough program, and they do things the right way. There'll be a time to uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.